0: What I, uh, what I know to be true about every one of us here this morning is the fact that we all get our sense of identity from something. And the thing that I don't know is what that thing is for each person that's here. I know what it should be for all of us if we lived in a perfect, sinless world, but we don't. And one of the effects of that imperfect, sinful world is that we often seek and find identity in things that we shouldn't. Our identity is basically what we understand about ourselves to be true at the core of us, it's the main thing that defines us and will likely be the primary internal influence that forms our thoughts including our worldview, and spills out to motivate our external actions. And so it's a crucial question for us to ask, where does my sense of identity come from? If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be careful not to just answer this question intellectually, because you know the right answer. It's just like in Sunday school, the right answer is always Jesus, Right? We know the right answer. We know who is supposed to define us, but you can know the right answer all the while it not be true for you. And all the while you find your identity in something else and it's not truly rooted in Jesus. And so in order for us to answer accurately, it's a question that we can't just answer with our minds. We have to search our hearts and determine where do we find value. Where do we gain our value in? What do we really love and want in our lives? What offers us hope and joy and tells us what we are worth? John Bloom, he once wrote, we always find our identity in our God, though our God may or may not be the God whom we confess. The Old Testament and Jesus himself address the issue of, uh, of, of this problem in God's people, one can confess and yet be defined more by an idol. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, 13. This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Luke six forty six, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Whatever we find acceptance in, whatever we find greatest happiness in, that is our true God, regardless of what we confess. Because that thing, whatever it is, will have the most focus of our attention. And as a result, it will yield the greatest power to point us to who we are, what we want, what we should and shouldn't do, and what we're worth. Basically, it will form our identity. Paul writes to the believers in Colossae in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So just as Paul desires the Colossians to walk in Christ, being rooted in him, being built up in him, that's my desire for every single one of us, that we would be rooted and built up in Christ. And that can only occur in our lives when our identity is properly rooted in the Lord. And so to that end, let's pray together, and we're going to look at this issue of identity as we continue through the book of Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that... As I preach that you do your work, Father, that your Holy Spirit takes hold of these words and speaks to the heart of your people, Father, that we would examine our hearts and really ask that question of where does my identity come from? As a follower of Jesus, do I profess Christ and yet I'm more defined by other things, things of this world? Lord, I pray that you would uproot those things this morning. God do a mighty work. just desire your presence, desire you to, to move and be and, and work amongst your people. Father, it's, a, it's a, a prayer to make us more into the image of your son. Would you do that today, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we, uh, this morning, we find ourselves in week three of our series through the book of Jonah, and as you you could see in the verses that Rochelle read for us, Jonah's having a tough go. Uh, He's having a bit of a tough time right now uh, with his plan of running from the presence of the Lord. It's not going so well. And as we spent time looking at last week, he finds himself in the midst of a major storm that's come upon the boat that he is fleeing in. A storm that God himself hurled at Jonah as judgment uh, for his disobedience to the Lord. And so Jonah is very literally experiencing what Timothy Keller says about sin that I quoted last week. Right, Every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. And so Jonah finds himself quite literally in a storm. And in this section of the text from verse 7 to 10 that's going to be our focus today, the other men on the boat are attempting to discern why this storm had come upon them. They, they know that it was of divine origin, but to this point they haven't figured out what god is angry, who are they angry at, and, and why? What is going on? And so, since the storm has this divine cause, the sailors decide to use a common practice of the time, the casting of lots, in, in order to seek the wisdom of the gods so that they could discern and determine on whose account the storm has come upon them. Now, the casting of lots is very similar to the rolling of dice in in our day and age. And while it seems like an unsophisticated way uh, to to determine things to our modern sensibilities, it's actually quite reasonable when lots are cast in conjunction to seeking the Lord. In Acts chapter 6, we see the apostles employ the casting of lots when they were trying to replace Judas's position amongst the 12. They would probably have prayed to the Lord beforehand to guide them, to show them what they were to do, and then cast the lots, and then trusted that how the lots landed was ordained by the Lord as his answer to their prayer. And so the the sailors in Jonah's story are doing the exact same thing. They cast lots to determine who is at fault, expecting a God. And we're talking, these were pagans, so I don't know what God they were uh, expecting to answer, but they were appealing to a God, and they wanted him to show who is responsible for this. Who has brought this storm upon us? And so sure enough, they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And so we can deduce from that, that the Lord ordained the lots to fall this way. He, he made them fall as needed in order to expose Jonah as the one on whose account all of this was happening to the sailors. And so you can imagine the scene that the lots fall on Jonah, I'm sure. They're still in the midst of the storm. They're up on the deck throwing dice, trying to figure out what's going on. The lots fall on Jonah. I'm sure all eyes are upon him. And, and the men proceed to interrogate Jonah, with a series of successive questions in order to understand better the situation that they are in. Jonah 1, verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So from the the first thing that the sailors say to him, it's evident that they don't immediately know that Jonah is directly at fault, but he certainly has the answers that they need to resolve this this problem that they're in. And so the sailors are saying to him, tell us, on what account has this evil come upon us? This is them basically saying to Jonah, okay, why did the lots land on you? Like, what do we need to know, Jonah? And then all of the questions that follow that are basically, who are you questions, aimed at learning Jonah's identity. They're very similar to the type of questions that we ask in our day. What's the first question that they ask? What's your occupation? That's a very common question in our day, especially amongst men. When you meet a new man, what's your name? What do you do? That's how we introduce ourselves to other men. Because an individual's identity in our day is often so wrapped in their career. He says, Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? So the men ask Jonah these questions to learn who he is. And what I want us to notice is I want us to notice the order in which the men ask the questions compared to the order in which Jonah answers the questions. The men ask, On whose account did this evil come upon us? What's your occupation? Where are you from? What country? What people? And Jonah's answer is. In verse nine is, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah answered the sailor's last question first, I am a Hebrew. And so we assume then that in Jonah's mind, this is the most important thing about him. It was the last question it was the first thing he answered. Of what people are you is a question about race, is a question about et- ethnicity. Daniel C. Temer in his, uh, in his commentary, he says, Since Jonah identifies himself first ethnically, then religiously, we may infer that his ethnicity is foremost in his self-identity. A number of commentators and theologians that I researched came to the same conclusion, that Jonah's identity primarily comes from his ethnic background. I am a Hebrew. You know, in week one of our series, I touched very briefly on the fact that one of the themes of Jonah is about race. And it's about hyper-nationalism, this unhealthy pride in your own country or your own people. And there's several glimpses in the story of Jonah that reveal Jonah's struggle with this. First is is here when he answers the questions placing his race and his ethnicity before his God. It shows how he defines himself. Ethnicity in the forefront, ethnicity is first to him. And then in chapter 4, it becomes more clear That Jonah prominently defines himself by his people. When Jonah's complaint to the Lord reveals why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. It's a fascinating complaint from Jonah in chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. It says he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That is fascinating. When we read those things, we read them as amazingly good things. God is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah's saying, God, because of those things, end my life. Like Jonah's not viewing that as a good thing. Jonah's saying he hates the idea of God showing mercy to the Assyrians so much that he would rather die than see it happen. That reveals a huge heart condition that Jonah has. I think there's several aspects to that heart condition that Jonah has that, that we're going to continue to look at over the subsequent weeks. But, but for today, oh, lost me. Battery died. Switch to this one. I mean, let's be honest, I can probably talk loud enough that I don't even need it, but just in case. Uh, So this reveals a big heart condition in Jonah, and and as I said, I think there's several aspects to this heart condition that Jonah has, um, and we are going to look at those in subsequent weeks, but I want to focus just today on one aspect, and certainly one aspect of Jonah's disdain is because his identity is incorrectly rooted most deeply in his ethnicity, in his nation, in his people group, which has led to him disdaining the idea that God would show mercy apart from his own people. Jonah believes the Assyrians, a different people group, should not receive the mercy of God. Whenever we believe someone or a group of people, a nationality, race, gender, social status, whatever the prejudice that you want to put in there should be exempt from the mercy of God, we have lost our view of what God's mercy is. It is a gift. It is undeserved by anyone and everyone, including every single one of us in this room. You know, in week one, we we looked at the difficult history between Assyria and Israel. They were enemies. The Assyrians, as I talked about, they were evil. They were were an evil race of people. There was was blood between the nations. There there was so much hatred between them. And so I'm I'm not dismissing that for Jonah to get a call from the Lord to go to the Assyrians, it would have been hard for him. But for Jonah to go so far as to desire death rather than see God's mercy upon the Assyrians reveals he is functioning with a desperately impaired view of God that comes from an identity not rooted first and foremost in his God, but rooted in something else. And in this case, his ethnicity, his nation, Jonah, Jonah has become tribal with God's mercy. Now you can imagine Jonah sitting there before the Lord saying, God, the, the Hebrews are your people. We're your people, not the Assyrians. How dare you show mercy to them? End my life if you're going to do that. Jonah's improperly placed identity caused him to think incorrectly. I said at the beginning, what defines us determines our thoughts and our worldview and informs our external actions. Jonah's response to the sailors is quite fascinating. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. The word fear is translated worship in some English versions. And I think the discerning reader has to ask, does Jonah really worship or fear the Lord? Or maybe a better question is, does Jonah rightly fear and worship the Lord above everything else? Because if he did, then when God said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, Jonah would have gone to Nineveh. Because if his identity was primarily rooted in God, then God would yield the greatest power to point him to who he is, what he wants, what he should and shouldn't do. But he proves his fear of the Lord or devotion to God is secondary to his devotion to his nation. This is why I didn't go, God, because they're our enemy and you are merciful and I didn't want you to show mercy on them. Jonah's nation came first over his God. And it caused him to lose sight of what his real identity meant. As a Hebrew, he was one of God's covenant people. And as I reflected in week one, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel, starting with their forefather, Abraham. And he promised Abraham, you would be blessed with the purpose of being a blessing to others. And eventually, all nations would be blessed through your descendants, through Jesus Christ." So if Jonah's identity was properly rooted in God, he would have recognized the calling from the Lord to go to Nineveh was part of his identity that he had as a Hebrew. He was blessed to be a blessing. But instead, Jonah misunderstood and he disliked the ways of God. It was interesting because Jonah's response is very similar to someone's response in a a parable that's taught by Jesus. Jonah is very similar to the older brother that we see in the parable of the prodigal son. One of the most famous parables found in scripture in Luke 15, 11 to 32. I'll just summarize it very quickly. A man had two sons and his younger son asked his father to give him money that he had promised that he normally wouldn't get until his father was dead, his inheritance. In spite of this offense to his father, basically saying, I'm going to pretend you're dead, give me my inheritance now, his father obliged. And he gave the son the money and the son took off with the money to a foreign land and he lived carelessly in debauchery. He, he quickly spent all of his father's money. And when his money was gone and a famine came and he was starving, he regretted what he had done and decided to go back home to his father's house and hope that maybe, maybe his father would just let him live amongst even the servants. He didn't expect to be a son anymore because of what he'd done. And when he gets home, his father sees him coming and he runs to meet him and he kisses him and embraces him and the son repents of his wicked ways and the father forgives him and he grabs his best robe and he throws it on him and he gives him the ring and he kills the fattened calf for a meal and he celebrates because his son who was lost is once again found and while this reunion is going on the older brother is outside working the field he could hear the music he could hear the dancing and he asks the servant what's going on what's happening?" And he learned from the servant that his brother had returned. And he was angry. And he refused to welcome him back. And his father goes out to the field and asks him, Son, come and join us. But the older brother responds in anger to his father, saying, I have served you loyally. I've obeyed you all of these years. Yet I've never gotten a fattened calf or a feast. Yet when your son who ran away, wasted his inheritance and lived sinfully returns, you celebrate and shower him with gifts. And the father replies to his son that everything that he has has always been his because he's been with him all along. And he's enjoyed the advantages and he's enjoyed the blessings of his father's house. But on this particular day, yes, I'm going to celebrate because my my son, who was lost, is found again. And the older brother just could not abide with it. The older brother in this story has the same issue as Jonah. Ultimately, they don't like the free mercy of God. The older brother hated that his father showed mercy upon his sinful younger brother. Jonah hated that God showed mercy upon a sinful nation. Why did they hate the free mercy of God? Is because of what their identity was rooted in. The brother's identity was rooted in his good behavior. It was rooted in the checking off of boxes. You can see it in his response to his father. I've served you loyally. I've obeyed you. His identity was in his works. He had inadvertently been trying to earn his father's love when he had it freely all along. And so when his brother came along who had not earned his father's love and he freely received mercy, he could not handle it. Jonah's identity was rooted in his ethnicity. I'm a Hebrew, one of the chosen people of God. He'd become prideful in his nation, forgetting that God had mercifully and by no act of their own chosen the nation of Israel as his people. And he could freely show such mercy upon any nation. It wasn't as though Israel was any more deserving of God's mercy. They were rebellious. But what he had rooted his identity in caused him not to be able to handle the free mercy of God upon other people. Micah 6.8 commands God's people. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The issue for Jonah and the issue for the older brother, and the issue that we must be careful of, is placing our identity in the wrong thing. Because anything other than forming our identity with Christ at the center will result in a shallow Christian walk and will ultimately hurt us and potentially hurt those around us. Because anything else in this world does not have the depth to sustain us and root us as it should. So as we begin to wind down, let's, let's bring this principle of identity more specifically to bear weight on us. There are many offshoots of a shallow identity in Christ. Insecurity. Insecurity. Pride, fear, constantly looking for the next high. Timothy Keller, he says, shallow Christian identities explain why professing Christians can be racists, why they can be greedy materialists, why they can be addicted to beauty and pleasure or filled with anxiety and prone to overwork. It's a long list that the detriments that come from placing our value in the wrong thing. And we need an entire series of sermons to unpack Christian identity. And Lord willing, we'll do that one day. For this morning, though, I want to leave us reflecting on the issue that Jonah and the older brother had a dislike of God's mercy, and a lack of care for others. By others, I mean those who are different, whether it be racially, whether it be socially, whether it be sexually, politically, whatever it is. A shallow identity in Christ will lead to treating others who are different from us with contempt, like Jonah and the older brother does. It will cause us to put up walls when we should be building bridges. As a follower of Christ, we must, in fact, we are commanded to desire the good of the other. Regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of persuasion, regardless of whether they are a friend or an enemy, we are commanded to desire the good of the other. Like the good Samaritan who showed mercy to someone who should have been His natural enemy. We as God's people must show mercy. We must do justice. We must show kindness to anyone and everyone. And we won't be able to do that if we're not rooted in the Lord first. Luke 6 36, Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so I ask you, what about you? What is your identity rooted in? Is it rooted in Christ? Or do you profess Christ, but it is more deeply rooted in something else? Have you become tribal? Have you become so insulated from those who are different than you that you can't show mercy to them? Do you have a protectionist mindset that you have to put up these walls? Or do you build bridges? Do you show mercy to others? And, and, and I'm not talking theoretically. We can easily all say, well, I would if I found myself in the situation. Well, put yourself in the situation. It's part of being a follower of Christ, it's not always just waiting until. Things come our way because more and more in this world, things are not going to come our way. It's about ourselves putting ourselves out there in spots where we have to show mercy. We have to engage the other and build that bridge. Because regardless of nationality, race, whatever thing makes us different, we all need Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's going to solve all of the issues in the world. But it starts with our identity being rooted in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I hope that through your spirit we can grasp the the brevity of the importance of having our identity in Christ. It's not a trivial thing that we're talking about here. It is something that will absolutely inform our thoughts and our worldview and how we respond to enemies and those who are different than us. If we have a, a shallow identity in you, we will close ourselves up, put up walls, and try to protect this faith and... And Lord, I, I recognize that there's times when we are new to faith in Christ that we need to do that. We need to kind of insulate ourselves until we've, we've learned enough and understand you and, and grow in the spirit enough. But after that, Lord, we need to put down those walls and build those bridges and engage with those who are different than us. Father, I think one of the things that your church needs to learn is that more and more and more in this culture and in the world as a whole, uh, they're not coming looking for you. They're not looking for opportunities to engage Christians. We have to look for those opportunities. We have to go, as you've called us to, and find those moments where we can show such mercy. And so, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives may this be more than theoretical may it be something that we actually live out Father help us to be like Christ Father I pray for anyone in here who's struggling with their identity God would you show them who they are in you what you've declared to be true about them the promises that are in your word that we can stand upon and know Lord, thank you for your mercy over our lives. Thank you for your free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.